This morning as um, we get ready to go into Daniel chapter 7 for a couple minutes. Lord, we love you. Uh, we thank you and we praise you for today. We are uh, thankful to be here with our family. Lord, those that are uh, struggling this morning, I just pray that you would give uh, strength and peace uh, that this world cannot understand, that God, you would uh, proclaim the gospel and the goodness of God, the goodness of Jesus Christ uh, through the midst of all the things that we go through in our life. Uh, God, today the trial is so large for some, and God, for others, we're just uh, navigating life, we're just dealing with the inconveniences, the frustrations, and the other things, God, that come uh, with just being here and being human. And Lord, I just pray that you would help both of those groups, God, to understand you are at work. Your hand is moving, you are moving in our hearts, uh, in our church, in our homes, in our community, and that, God, you would help us, Lord, just to be faithful. We do not have to control what's going on around us. We don't even have to control, uh, God, what's going on with the people in our own home. We just have to be faithful to you. And Lord, I just pray again one day that we would hear, well done together. In Jesus' name, amen. We will be in uh, Daniel chapter 7 again this morning as we finish up that passage. And I think what's going to happen is we may end up just reading uh, Daniel 8 because they tell the same story. So we're going to go through that. Where we've been a couple weeks ago, uh, we've been talking through Daniel now for months. Uh, chapter 5, Belshazzar, we've talked about him. He has uh, access, he has money, he has finances, and he has a story, and yet he continues to choose things that God would call foolish. So that chapter is anti-wisdom. Belshazzar is a fool. He's a fool. Much of his life mirrors much of ours today. We have information at our fingertips. You can read the Bible on repeat. A lot of us, it sits at home uh, you know, collecting dust. Uh, we have stories that could be told of the goodness of God and people that would give testimony. And yet we continually choose things that God would call foolish. We need to be careful with that passage in chapter 5 that we take it as a warning. Belshazzar had everything that we had. He had money, resources, stuff, and he had a story that could be told from his grandfather that would have changed the trajectory of his life. Instead, he chose the road of a fool. And he ends up paying for it with his life. Kingdom done, all of it gone in a day. Chapter 6, what was chapter 6? Daniel in the lion's den. We talked about one of Daniel's greatest strengths, right? His greatest weapon and our greatest weapon are the same thing. Contagious faith, consistent faith, conquering, consequential faith. His faith had consequences. That is the story of Daniel chapter 6. It's so, offended to those, it's so offensive to those in the country that they hate him, despise him, set up a plan to have him killed, and they execute it. The problem is they didn't have control of the lions. God did. And God chose to shut their mouth and to bring him out of that den and once again elevate him and his story so that you and I could be a part of it uh, even today, listening to it, drawing from it, uh, loving that story. We tell it to our children. You and I need to take it and read it a little more often as well. What is going on there? His faith is unbelievable. Chapter 7, we talked about uh, two weeks ago, the, no, three weeks ago, the purpose and the glory of prophecy is to what? The purpose and the glory of prophecy is to point to the one that creates history. If you and I miss the idea of what prophecy is doing, we miss so much of the glory and the goodness of what God has given us. You and I do not have a blind faith. If you're operating with that or you have believed that lie, number one, you need to repent 
And number two, you need to take your, your mental, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. You need to take that third piece and make it a little more serious in your life. You and I do not have a blind faith. God has given more than enough evidence for you and I to weigh it out and say, this story makes sense, this story does not. Just because there are miracles in it doesn't mean it's far-fetched or it cannot happen. I mean, even the secular world believes in at least one miracle, creation. They believe that somehow spinning hot cosmic dust exploded and created me and you. In the beginning, God, or in the beginning, dust. So even, even the, the, the most sciencey person in the world with the robe on and the wall filled with diplomas and all kinds of other stuff believes in at least one miracle. Why are they upset at you and I for believing many? So we have to understand that the purpose and the glory of prophecy, when you and I are reading the Old Testament, why is it that so much is made at Christmas time with all the prophecies Jesus fulfilled? The point is to give you and I a faith that has something to anchor to. There was a meaning and a purpose as to why he was born in Bethlehem, and it wasn't just because the bread of life would be born where? A bakery. Say it. Bethlehem. House of bread. It wasn't just that he would be born the same time of the year as the sacrificial lambs would be born because he would later be what? The Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. It wasn't just all of that. It was so that you and I now would look back and say, there's no way humanly possible that someone could fulfill all of these prophecies by accident. Prophecy is there to point to the glory of God. It is there for you and I use to bolster our faith. Even in James, we're reading the most practical book in the New Testament in Sunday school together. And that book points backward and draws people back into stories that they've known and heard and loved and been a part of their whole life. Why? So that their faith right then can be strengthened. Does that make sense? The same God that lived yesterday lives today. He did that then, he will do it now. He did this for those that loved him, even though their world was hard and the persecution was coming and death was coming for some. The Lord was there and the Lord was faithful and he has, has done that then, he will do it again now. So we're looking backward and we're drawing into these stories that the same God that is alive then and working and active and loving then is doing the same thing now. So that when you and I walk those kinds of trials, we know that the same God is walking with us. All of that was, was the idea of chapter 7. Like we're reading this beautiful passage of God calling out what's going to happen to the nations that are coming after Babylon. Like that is going on. Like, like Daniel was prophesying that. We're reading that beauty so that you and I grow closer to God. Not so that we can look at the story and just think, wow, that's really cool. Like holy cow, the God that wrote scripture. The God that called it into existence. The God that calls out kings. Knows the number of hair on my head. And he keeps tally as they turn gray. Right? Like, there's a new one. Yeah. I mean, he knows the brown ones, the gray ones, and then when I have a beard, they start to turn red. That is really weird. There's some calico in there somewhere. He knows that. They're tallied out. That's the same God, the one that calls out kings, the one that told Belshazzar, your kingdom is done. That night it happened. The one that tells Daniel, coming soon is going to be this, this Greek looking, and we're going to read that in a, uh, in a minute. We're going to read the story of Alexander the Great and the Greek that was coming. Daniel didn't have a clue who that was. Did he know that 
a young man was going to conquer the world in, in basically a decade? Well, he did if he believed what God told him. Because here come Alexander the Great at like 22 years old, king and a warrior, and conquered the world, and then dies quickly. It's amazing. Let's just get into it. Daniel chapter uh, 7, we read through, right? Well, Daniel 5 is brewing. Daniel 5 is the judgment of Belshazzar. While Daniel 5 is brewing, Daniel 7 is taking place. This goes backwards, chronologically. Daniel 5, Belshazzar's killed. Babylon's over. Daniel 6, Darius, the Mede, is in charge. Daniel gets thrown in the lion's den. Chapter 7 is what happens during Belshazzar's reign. So you've got to go back. A kingdom and a king. Okay, but that's going on in chapter 7. Daniel reads and he sees, uh, he doesn't read, he sees this vision. The first year of Belshaz- uh, Belshazzar's reign. Times of grief, transition, upheaval, look up. We talked about that a couple weeks ago. The idea is Daniel's kind of sitting in this no man's land. He's kind of sitting in this transition of kingdoms. He's getting ready to see this happen. Belshazzar is somebody maybe that he uh, honors, but he probably doesn't care much for. But Nebuchadnezzar was somebody that he loved. So is he grieving? Is he in the middle of this weird spot where the kingdom has changed and now his whole life has changed? What I told you that week was, chapter 7, verse 1, when you and I are in the midst of significant change, you need to be looking up. You need to be trying to figure out what the Lord is going to do, what he is teaching you, what kind of faithfulness he is instilling in you. Daniel is transitioning kingdoms, and this is the time God uses to give him a powerful message, a powerful message. Vision. When your life is being shaken, you and I need to look up. We need to get on our knees and we need to be humbly and prayerfully asking God, okay, what are you trying to teach me? What do you want me to learn? What do you want me to do? What do I need to change? Where do I need to go? What am I doing? Help me, Lord. Early on in this passage in chapter 2, what's he see? He says he, lo- he looks at the sea and he sees these kingdoms start to come out of the sea. What I want to, uh, you to understand that morning is... Uh, Skip Heitzig was preaching through this, and I was listening to him talking. So the, the, the idea of the gold statue, remember that when we talked about that. Skip Heitzig made the comment that that was the earthly view of those kingdoms. So a human looking, and they see this beautiful statue, head of gold, shoulders of silver, right? Uh, uh, torso of bronze, and then legs of, of iron, and then feet of clay and iron. And you look at that, and it looks like something decent it looks like an idol something they would have worshipped it looks glorious especially the head of gold there's nebuchadnezzar then he talks about this is the way god views these kingdoms nasty vicious vile chaotic and what i wanted you to understand when we read through it a couple weeks ago was that coming out of the sea the concept of the sea is a concept of what in genesis it's chaos right the, the Holy Spirit's hovering over the sea. There's nothing there yet. It's, it's just openness and it's chaos. And then later on, what happens? Well, there's a flood. The sea is judgment. After that, what happens? Moses is brought out of the sea. He is supposed to be dead, and yet he is resurrected out of that. Why? Because his parents wouldn't have him murdered. So they make the basket, float him down the Nile River, and he is resurrected out of that. That's why his name is Moses, out of water. What happens later? Red Sea. Good is dead, God parts it, comes up out of it. Like the sea has meaning and purpose. Even with baptism, what do we do? Baptized to look like Jesus, right? Buried, dead, raised to walk in newness of life. So there's a picture there of the water. So what Daniel sees in this portion of chapter 7 is 
the way God sees these kingdoms. They are vicious, vile, angry, sinful, ultimately destroyed. There's a lot of symbolism in what's going on here. Verses 2 to 8, the terror and the details of earth's mightiest kingdoms. Verses 9 to 14, we're going to read the last part of this passage here in just a minute. The supremacy of God's kingdom. So this is applicable right now for you and I. Okay, Because we're going to watch it play out even in Daniel's life. I'm going to show it to you at the end of the next chapter. When you and I are staring at the wrong kingdom, what happens? We get depressed. We get hurt. We get frustrated. Our hope dwindles. So this passage in chapter 7, the angel constantly points to the last kingdom, which is whose kingdom? Jesus's. Now, who is a part of that kingdom? Somebody say me. I mean, if you mean it. If not, just whisper it. Make it look like it. I don't want to, if, you're, if you're not in that kingdom, I don't want you to say me. But I also don't want you to not mouth it because then it will put me on to what's going on. So you can just quietly go. Right. right. That's the kingdom you and I belong to. Do you understand? Daniel is seeing 550 B.C. The kingdom you and I belong to. Not America. The stone uncut from human hands, right? That's the vision with the idol that falls from heaven, hits the toe of basically what we would say is the Roman Empire and shatters that whole... What has outlived all of those kingdoms? Somebody say the church. Bride of Christ, say it. You and me. You're here because the kingdom we are actually attached to is eternal. These vicious, vile ones that we keep looking at that you turn on the TV and you look at, you know what they are? Temporal. They are short. You and I live in one of the longest, the longest republic, the longest constitutional republic that the world has ever known. You and I are living in it right now. Young ones, listen. Contrary to everything you've been taught or whatever you see on TV or social media, this is the anomaly. The life you and I have is the weird part of human history. It's not the normal part. These kingdoms are temporary. And yet when we get fixated on them, we end up becoming like them. Frustrated, broken, angry. You and I need to keep our focus where it needs to be, which is on the kingdom of God. Now, we have to live in this kingdom, so don't be foolish and run this to the farthest possible place you can go. You and I still have to interact here, and we are still called to be salt and light. What I am saying is, ultimately, how America goes is not how you and I go. How Charleston goes is not ultimately how you and I go. We go the way the Lord wants us to go. Where there's victory, we go in victory. And when it's time to go home, you and I go home. But that's the worst this world can do. It sends you and I to meet our Savior. That's it. You think, man, that's kind of harsh. That's what your ancestors have lived under for 2,000 years. Your Christian ancestors have lived under that idea. These things are temporal. So chapter 7 the angel continues to pull Daniel back into Jesus' kingdom because he's giving him hope. He's giving him an anchor. He's making him see something that is glorious and good. 
as opposed to what, he's, what, he's, what he wants to be fixated on is, I want to know the truth about this beast. This looks wicked and vile, and it's all in the Scripture. As you read through it, you see he wants to look. He wants to know about this one. And in that chapter, he's constantly pulled back into the Ancient of Days. Why does Jesus call himself the Son of Man? Why is that his favorite title for himself? Because it sounds cool? Because it was really easy for everybody to interpret and understand? No. Not if you weren't Jewish. That is a prophecy fulfilled. In Daniel chapter 7, the Ancient of Days is seated. And who does he give dominion to? One that comes up like the Son of Man. Jesus never claimed to be God. That's because you don't understand what the Jews were hearing. When Jesus called himself the Son of Man, he was telling the Jewish people, I am the one that has dominion. It will be handed to me. Daniel saw it. The prophets saw it. I am here to tell you I am him. Yeah, he claimed to be God. So forgave sin and accepted worship. So if that one's not good enough for you, if you forgive sin, that pretty much makes God. And if you accept worship, you better be God. Because the time is coming when you're going to give an account for that. So in Daniel chapter 7, that's what we see, verses 15 to 28. Earthly kingdoms, what are they? They are intriguing. They are not eternal. Listen to me very carefully right now. They are terrifying if you see them for what they are. They are temporal. They are not eternal. But they are also what? Last word on the screen. Tempting. It is so tempting to want, to desire to be a part of that, to be accepted, to understand it. It is so very tempting. And you and I struggle with that temptation even today. Everything that the, the, the culture wants to honor, everything that the culture wants to bless, everything that the culture wants to make famous, you and I have to fight the temptation to want to be a part of those things. Because if the culture is elevating it, you and I should want nothing to do with it. If the culture is celebrating it, you and I should want nothing to do with it. We are here to be a blessing to the world that we live in. We are here to be light and salt. We expose things. We bring truth into the equation. The things the world loves, the things that it gravitates toward, you and I should want nothing to do with. We should want to benefit our family, our neighbors, our church, our community. But we don't do that when we celebrate what they celebrate. We don't do that when we honor what they honor. We do that when we honor what God honors. In the spirit and the manner and the terminology and the definition with which he honors it. Does that understand? Do you understand that? Like God says love, the culture says love. God says accept, the culture says accept. Like these things don't have the same definition. So you and I have to be careful that we don't get roped into that trap. The angel delivering the message glances at the kingdoms, but he stares at the bride. That is the glorious truth you and I have to grab a hold of. We glance at the kingdoms. We glance at what's going on. But we stare at the bride and we stare at Messiah. You know the greatest kind of government? The greatest kind of government is a kingship. You say, wait a second, we're all Americans here. What about democracy? 
right? Democracy is everybody's opinion, and whoever's opinion is the most liked is the one that wins. You know what a kingship is? One opinion. Just to break all of our hearts this morning, you're not going to live in eternity in a constitutional republic. You're going to live in a benevolent dictatorship, and it's going to be glorious. You're not going to be in charge. You're not going to have a vote, and you're going to love it. Thank you, Lord. The one that's worthy is the one in charge. That is the kind of government that works. One will going in the right direction for the good of everybody. You and I are in that kingdom right now. It's just really hard navigating because there's a lot of static and a lot of noise. We have to focus. I put a couple pictures in just because I told you all this stuff was like less preaching and more teaching. This would be a lot easier done if I was down there and we were just chatting back and forth. There's a timeline here. People have been working through the timelines. Is that going to come up, Stephen? Wow, look at that. Yeah, that's beautiful. You all can really read that. Um, that's a picture of the idol, head of gold, right? Bronze, arms. Why is there two arms on that bronze statue? Because the Medo-Persians were the second empire, right? We're going to see them again in chapter 8. Uh, the, 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 the torso of bronze, right? Diminishing in value, diminishing kind of in strength, but still there, still important, covered. That's the Greek empire. The feet. Now, this, this uh, timeline I brought off of, and I got the um, references on the last slide there. This, this one's interesting because on the legs, if you could read them, it would say Eastern Church and Western Church on the legs. This wasn't an honor to be a part of this idol. So if this conjecture is proper, if this conjecture is right, and I think there may be a thread of truth in it, the church, pieces of the church, not part of the bride, pieces of the church, uh, not part of Jesus' kingdom, Right? have been involved since basically Rome, the fall of the Roman Empire, they have been involved in all of the workings all around the world. And so if the person that came up with this idea had, was thinking that way, you could bring some truth into that. Between the Catholic Church, Greek Orthodox Church, there's always been a church presence there. You see them get very powerful. You see them get very evil, very demonic through vast majorities of our history. There's always been goats and wolves in the church. That's the way this one's laid out, but it comes down 612 BC. It has the lion there uh, with, the, with the picture in uh, Daniel 7, the lion with wings. Uh, it has the bear, right, uh, raised up on one side. Daniel 8, it will be ram with two horns. That's the little picture there that you can't see. And then next to that will be the leopard with wings. Uh, with the idea of Alexander the Great and how fast he would conquer the world. When you read the scripture, it's like he didn't even touch the ground. It was a leopard with wings, like amazing. Daniel doesn't know who Alexander is. God is going to tell him, right? After that, you see this, this beast that represents the Roman Empire. The one that terrified uh, Daniel so was the beast that represents the Roman Empire. The scariest thing about that is, I think you and I can draw a conclusion with it. The scariest thing about that kingdom is when you get down to the feet, it says they were what? Mixed? And what happens when you try to mix iron and clay? They don't mix. That's the point. Fragile, frail, easy to destroy. Right? Can you see a little bit of our problem right now? Can you see a little bit of our problem right now in America? 
Clay and iron don't mix. Our moral values do not mix. So our country is what? Weaker than it's ever been. If you ask 10 people, hero or villain, with the same person on the street, you would not get the same answer. Communist Russia, communist China, hero or villain, you wouldn't get all 10 either way. Like that's how far apart we are right now. Our government is built around that, which was supposed to be something that was going to be helpful. turns out once you get people outside of the umbrella of what's right and wrong, you end up with a real mess. Like in what world will Nancy Pelosi and Jim Jordan from Ohio have anything in common? Like what are they supposed to compromise on? They don't believe in life. They don't believe in what's right. They don't believe in what's wrong. Like we're silly to think this is going to continue to work. And it's not because of them in D.C. It's because of us. West Virginia and California, the average individual does not have a lot in common. It just is what it is. And we need to start dealing with that and preparing our minds and our hearts for what's to come. We are iron and clay. And we're in trouble. The next timeline, I will put, I'll post these on Facebook so you all can see them a little bit better. But just to give you the idea, there are people that are studying these things. They've placed these things out. And it's amazing to see how God operates. Turn with me to Daniel. Um, what we got? I'm going to be done after this. So we're going to go to Daniel 8 next week. What do we see in Daniel chapter 7? What do we see in the whole life of Daniel? And this is what I want to end with. So it's like information, application, and we're done. Go to the next slide for me, Stephen. Daniel's courage. This is it for today. The courage of Daniel is based in what? Truth. The courage of Daniel is based in truth. What he believes sets his life up the rest of time. We've called it faith. Now we're calling it truth. Why? Because truth is one of the words that our culture uses all the time. If your life is going to be settled and steady and anchored, it's going to be anchored not in your truth. It's going to be anchored in the truth. Daniel has the truth. Daniel knows the truth, and so that everything life goes through, everything that he lands in, he is exiled as a slave. You understand? The story's a lot like Joseph. You say, well, he had it good. He was, you know, second or third in the kingdom. Yes, at the end of his life. Young ones, pay attention to that. It takes time to get where you want to get. Daniel had it good. You say, Joseph, he had it good. Yeah, he did. At the end of his life. About the teenage years, his brothers wanted to kill him. Then they sold him into slavery. Right? Then he went to Egypt. He was falsely accused. So then he went from slave to prisoner. Like, man, he had it so good. Yeah, he did. Fantastic. Right? In prison, waiting for God to, to fulfill the promises that he had made. Our culture uses truth a lot. With Daniel, Daniel's courage come from the truth. What's he have truth in? In cultures that despise it, he has the truth. He is going to tell the truth no matter what the culture has to say. That is powerful in the book of Daniel. He suffers for it. God delivers him. That's not always the case. Some of your Christian mothers and fathers, they told the truth, they suffered for it, and they were never, this side of heaven, relieved. They went home. He told the truth in cultures that despised truth. He told the truth to people that didn't want to hear it. It wasn't just a broad thing that Daniel did. 
when Nebuchadnezzar has the dream about <laughs> the tree, remember, that's withered. And Daniel looks at him and says, man, Nebuchadnezzar, I wish this dream was for your enemies, but it's not. It's for you. You're going to be brought low, humbled, and you live outside the palace as an animal for seven years. He told that to a friend. He's called into the party with Belshazzar. Like, oh, the writing on the wall. <laughs> What's that? Well, that says uh, you've been weighed, measured, numbered. You're done. Tonight, it's over. Think Belshazzar wanted to hear that? Thanks, Daniel. Good message. Right? Some of you all right now, like, you hear this? I know you don't, but I'm going to tell it to you anyway. We're almost done. What happens next? He has a heart and a body that could barely stand it. This guy's life is on the front lines of spiritual warfare, and he is wore out repeatedly. His own heart, his own body could barely stand to see what God was giving him to see. It could barely stand to minister where God was calling him to minister. It was all he could do to get through it. Read the passage this week. You'll see it. It's all he could do. He needed time. He needed rest. He needed prayer. He fasted. He was close to the Lord. And yet the Lord didn't make him superhuman. Actually, what happened was the closer he got, the closer you and I get to the spiritual war, the more wore out we will be physically. You ever teach something? You ever teach the kids? And it's not just their energy that wears you out. Listen to me very carefully. When you open that word and you seriously want to teach it to someone else, in one or tens, it will wear you out. Because you are battling forces you never thought, you've never thought about, you never dreamed of. You enter the spiritual warfare. Daniel is a man of truth. His hope is anchored in settled truths. They don't change. They don't waffle. They don't wave depending on who's close. Young ones, listen to me very carefully. When you go to school, don't let your truths change based off of who you're around. You older ones in here, don't let your truths change. I've told you all from the pulpit before, you know the area this is driving me most crazy and it's giving me the most warning I've ever seen? Christian teachers that have taught the Bible for years, their truths are changing based off of their children's lifestyle, choices, everything. Almost one a month, somebody that has taught the Bible for years is standing up and saying, well, kind of evolving on that. Had a little evolution on this, Right? don't really think the word means what it just plainly says that it means anymore. Listen to me. That is terrifying. Don't let your truths change. If you do, you will be as unstable as the world. That's James 1. That is James 1. The double-minded man, the double-minded woman is unstable in all their ways. What else does Daniel do? His purpose is exposed by living the truth. How does Daniel find what he's supposed to do next? He gets up in the morning and he just lives out his, the truth of God. Not his truth, God's truth. He just lives out God's truth. And you know what happens? Uh, what he's supposed to do just comes to him. It's amazing, isn't it? Like the Lord's not going to let me and you miss what he wants us to do if we just get up and live for him. You just roll out of bed in the morning and say, Lord, use me today. And guess what? He's not going to let you miss. I remember being 18 and struggling over some of the craziest decisions ever. It was like, Lord, what's your will? Oh, what do you want me to do? God? What do you want me to do? It's like, okay, there was a real peace one day when you just woke up and said, Lord, I just want to honor you. What's up? What are we going to do today? <laughs> Where are we going? Sometimes your car breaks down, right? Sometimes you're in the middle of something cool. Sometimes you're meeting somebody you've never met before. 
Sometimes you're ministering to a homeless person. Sometimes it's just that's the way Daniel's life is revealed. You want to know what your meaning and your purpose is? Live God's truth. He won't let you miss. Do you think the Lord lets servants that want to honor him miss? Why are we struggling over that? What else happens? His courage is revealed in giving the truth. He is courageous because he lives the truth. He is courageous because he gives the truth. And it's going to cause issues. Cause issues with his family. It would cause issues with his friends. It would cause issues with his bosses. It would cause issues with his loved ones. It would cause issues in his church. But he lives the truth. And his courage is shown in that. And God blesses because of it. Not just because he makes it to a ripe old age. And finally, his blessing is constant in knowing the truth. What if the greatest blessing of your life is in knowing Christ? What if that is the only thing to hang on to in a moment that everything else, that everything you had eyes on, that your, your very life or your very health or that moment we've talked about, that that phone call comes in, right? And we talk about this all the time, and I know you all think I'm crazy until we have two or three families living through something that I'm telling you is going to happen. We dodged it this week. Next week might be yours. Next week might be mine. What truths are going to hold you and anchor you together? What blessing is going to be there when you look around and there's nothing? Is knowing him enough? At 95 in a nursing home bed, waiting to go home and meet the Lord. Is knowing him enough? At 50 and losing your job. Is knowing him enough? You got a spouse that don't want to love or honor the Lord. Is loving them in that service, is, is knowing that God is pleased with what you are doing and how you are caring, is that enough? There will come a day when the only blessing you and I have to grab a hold of is knowing that God is there and that he loves us. All my usefulness will be used up. My voice will be gone. My platform will be gone. There will be nothing left but me and him. Will that moment, will it be enough? Because you and I are heading in that place. Some of us are going to get there faster than others. As they come this morning to play, I want you to think about the truth that Daniel lives and the courage that he has and how you and I need to be working toward that, looking at that, desiring that, and wanting that. And sometimes it's just verbalizing that. You know why accountability is so important in the Christian life? Because sometimes starting to make that decision is just telling somebody else that can hold you accountable. That's it. Just telling a brother or sister... I need this, I want this, I desire this, is enough to get started. Maybe that's the first decision today that you need to make. Maybe God is telling you to tell a brother or sister. Maybe he's telling you to tell me. Maybe he is telling you just to verbalize, I need, I want what Daniel had. I want to live in a truth that transcends, and I want to be courageous and have my life poured out right, and blessed and be a blessing for others. As they play this morning, if you need something, you come.